Okay, as you're taking your seats, I invite you to turn into your Bibles to 2 Peter. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 2 Peter. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles over here on the table. We'd love for you to, to get one. Just raise your hand. We've got some enthusiastic young young middle-aged men to help you get if you need a Bible. Um, and the, so that you can be following along because this is God's very words to us. And so as we... Uh, as we are uh, going through this passage, my main job is to just point your eyes to the text and to help explain the text and uh, so that you can understand it and that the Spirit of God will work using the Word of God to, to change your heart and to change your, your mind and to change your life. And so uh, invite you to turn into Second Peter if you are not there already. And how we do it is we do a scripture reading. I'll read from a passage of scripture and then we'll pray and then we'll uh, jump into what this the passage is teaching us. Our reading is going to be 2 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, all the way through verse 15. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 15. Simeon, Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so short-sighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you will be able at any time 
to recall these things. This is the reading of God's word, and we say, thanks be to God. God, uh, now in this next few moments as we uh, seek to um, study this passage together and and uh, meditate on what it's saying to us, we dig into it. God, I pray that you give um, give us um, give me clarity of words. I pray that you give us all clarity of thought um, and that um, the barrier between what we see with our eyes and hear with our ears and understand in our minds and the barrier between that and our hearts would be removed so that these precious truths will come into our hearts and to nourish our souls as your word uh, promises us it will do. And so, God, we ask you to do that for us, in us, and through us to the glory of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray and all God's people said, amen and amen. So we are in the second week of our series in Second Peter. Um, and we saw last week, if I could kind of give you a little uh, recap of where we have been so far. Last week, we looked at the, the great, um, well, last week, we, I kind of gave you an overview of the entire book. And that the entire book can kind of be broken up into three main sections that he's dealing with. And it corresponds, um, just so happens, with the chapter numbers. So chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 each correspond to the three major sections of this book. Ch- the Chapter 1, the first section is dealing with this great things of God. Peter is a, going to a deal with the issue of false teachers in the church in the second chapter. But before he does, he wants to talk about the great, good, wonderful gifts that we have uh, from God in Christ. And so he does the great things of God in chapter one. He does this warning against false teachers in chapter two. And then in chapter three, he gets to perhaps one of the main content of the false teaching uh, in chapter three, which is questions about the second coming of Christ and the end of the world. So today... We're going to continue with this great section on the great things of God. Last week, we looked at the great gifts of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, to us in salvation. We saw that in verses 1 through 4. We saw salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone is been uh, granted to us. That's granted to the audience that Peter, to whom he is writing, it's granted to all who would trust in Christ for salvation for their sins. And then he goes on to say, and it's not just that. God has, uh, God has empowered you and granted you all things necessary for life and godliness. So much so that we actually enter into communion with God. We, we partake of his nature as we read um, in the first verses. These are God's great and precious promises. Now he wants to take it to the next step here and to go uh, in mind, keeping in mind the great gift of Christ that salvation has been granted to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. He now moves on to the urgent matter of the goal for the Christian's life, and that is sanctification. So the great gifts are salvation, verses 1 through 4. The great goal, then, is sanctification, which is the focus of verses 5 through 15. And so we're going to look at this in four parts, verses 5 through 15, in four um, uh, different parts that Peter is stressing here. 
Uh, but before we do, it might be helpful for me to kind of point out this main topic, the refrain that you see through these verses. Notice in verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, virtue, etc. Now notice back down to verse, um, verse 8. For if these qualities, you see that there? These qualities. And if you see, if you have in your, the ESV, I have a footnote here that reads uh, this. It's the Greek word, these things. It's just one pronoun, these. Um, so what different translators are trying to capture? What is this? These, these things, these, these virtues, these uh, these attributes, these qualities that he lists in verses five through seven. Notice it again. He says these uh, these things again in verse um, nine. Whoever lacks these things, verse ten. Um, if you practice these things or these qualities again in verse twelve, I want to remind you of these qualities. This is the uh, verse fifteen um, that you will be able to recall at any time. These things. So the topic is these things. It's not a really deep theological term. It's just a pronoun, these. Uh, but this is the subject that Peter wants us to, um, to be aware of. And so he does this in four points. And let me give you all four points here at the beginning, and then we'll look through each one. The exhortation to add these things, these qualities or these virtues, the examination of these things, the empowering ability of these things and the eternal importance of these things. Okay, so those are the four that we're going to be looking at. The exhortation to add these things in verse five. This is where we'll spend most of our time. This is a command to add these Christian qualities or Christian virtues to your life. And that these must not be separated from what we just read and we studied last week about the gracious gift of the gospel. Salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because that's the, uh, what we learned last week about this great gift of Christ in salvation forms the basis for why he gives these commands in verses 5 and on. Notice what it says at the beginning of verse 5. For this reason, everything I've said in verses 2, 3, 1, 2, 3, 4 has, uh, has a goal for you. And that goal is for you to add these qualities to your faith. To add these qualities to your faith. So in light of God's covenant promises, in light of his gracious gifts, we are to add, the, by diligent devotion, uh, a personal righteousness. Now, that brings up this question that's often asked. When, when a change is wrought in a Christian, uh, how does that happen? Who, or more specifically, who, who's doing the work? So I want to address that a little bit here at the very beginning. And I'll do so by, by saying this. We don't work independently on trying to do these kind of virtues or add these virtues to our faith. We don't do this independent of God's work in us. And likewise, you could say that God is not doing this work independent of our efforts either. 
I think the Apostle Paul captures this this tension really well about uh, the working out of our salvation. Paul writes to the church in Philippi these words. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Wait a second, that salvation is, is by grace and it's a gift from, from God through Christ. It's not done by any merit of our own. Yes. Paul isn't saying to work for your salvation. He's saying work out that salvation in your life with fear and trembling. This is a charge for them to do, for them to have effort, for them to have devotion, for them to give energy to the things of the Christian life that God calls us to. But notice what he says after that. For it is God who works in you. Who's doing the work? Well, you are. And God is. God is doing this work in you. And yet we, uh, we are working with God to bring to light the change that he is bringing in us. Do you understand here? So he's saying, he's saying, um, he's saying here, it is by God's grace he's begun this work in you, and that you now are called to act in accordance with that work that he is doing in you. It's a really uh, difficult and strange concept, that, uh, but I think the words of John Murray in his book Redemption Accomplished and Applied explains for us. Very well. I couldn't improve upon this, so I thought I would just uh, quote this for you. Um, and so it'll be on a couple of slides. And so bear with me. You can follow along what's on the slide. John Murray says this. God's working in us is not suspended because we work. Nor our working suspended because God's work. Or because God works. Neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation as if God did his part and we did ours so that the conjunction or coordination of both produced the required result. Let me kind of stop there. He's what he's basically saying in the image that it came to my mind is one of like a relay race, like God's the first person on the relay race and he hands the baton to you and he says, OK, now you just go on from there. He says, no, no, that's not how we should understand it. It's not one of like cooperation. If God's done his part, now he's handed it off to you to do your part. He goes on. But the relation is that because God works, we work. Because God works in us, we work. All working out of salvation on our part is the effect of God's working in us. Not the willing to the exclusion of the doing nor the doing to the exclusion of the willing, but both the willing and the doing. And he goes on to say, sanctification involves the concentration of thought, of interest, of heart, of mind, will, and purpose upon the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and the engagement of our whole being with those means which God has instituted for the attainment of that destination in other words god's dealing with real persons he says sanctification is the sanctification of persons and persons are not machines 
It is the sanctification of persons renewed after the image of God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Okay, so in other words, we don't work out our salvation alone without the Holy Spirit, nor does God work sanctification alone without, without us. There's no let go and, and let God. Or I'll put it this way. What Peter is calling us to here, and I think Paul and elsewhere and all through the scriptures, is a spirit-empowered effort must be exerted. Verse 5, make every effort to add these things to you. In light of the great gifts of Christ, our goal then is sanctification. So there's the exhortation to add these qualities. So number two is the examination of these qualities. Let's look at them. He begins in, uh, and I think he lists eight here. He just talked about obtaining the faith. He goes to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours in verse one. And now he tells them what it is that they need to add to their, uh, to their faith. So let's look at the first one, faith. We looked at this a little bit last week. Remember, faith, saving faith in Christ is not just the uh, acquisition of facts or information. It's not just uh, agreement to a set of facts. So we talked about noticia, which is knowledge and information. We talked about ascensus, which is uh, I ascend, I agree to the, the truth of what those are said. It's that. And then fiducia, it's trust and reliance. Am I going to act on the, uh, the facts that I agree with? And he says they have received this faith as a divine gift from God. And then he, Peter goes on this technique. It's kind of like building blocks. Notice that kind of ascending this ladder effect that's happening here in verses five through seven. So here's the second virtue. And that is a virtue. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Or as you see in the footnotes, excellence. It's the word for goodness, a good quality. <clears throat> um, other translations translated as excellence or moral excellence or uh, or virtue. So this is the the God given ability. One person says to perform heroic deeds. It's an attribute of kind of the the heroic person who steps in and to do what is morally good and morally right. So he says, add to your faith, this virtue. Second, he adds knowledge. Add to your faith, virtue. Add to your virtue, knowledge. This is correct insight, understanding. To properly comprehend what God has revealed to us and then to live accordingly. That's the third one, faith, virtue, knowledge. The next one is self-control. We've looked at this verse uh, before. It means uh, it's used predominantly for athletes who are able to, to discipline themselves and to restrain themselves and keep themselves on a course of training um, uh, and mental discipline. We are to add that to our Christian faith. Self-control. Control of our bodies. And in this larger concept, context of the scripture, this means to control our bodies uh, to prevent 
from engaging into sin. There's steadfastness, the end of verse, or middle of verse 6. This is long-suffering, perseverance, enduring, doing what is right, even when the temptation is to give up, or when a trial comes uh, to give in, or a temptation to sin is there, and you, you just let your guard down. Peter reminds them and for and us to add perseverance to our self-control. At the end of verse 6, he adds godliness here. This is to, to be godly, to live reverently, to live in the presence of God. To be constantly aware that God is, is watching and to live accordingly. We're to add godliness to faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, and steadfastness. And two more. He says brotherly affection. We've looked at this one. It's the Greek word Philadelphia. It means brotherly love or love for brothers. So add to godliness mutual affection, self-sacrifice, self-service, service for others. And then lastly, as the New Testament often does in these virtues lists, it ends with love. And the Greek word here is agape. This is not just to, you know, affections, friendship. This is self-giving, self-sacrificing love. So these are the qualities and virtues that Peter here at the beginning of this letter wants to stress to them that is, it's just so important for them to add to their faith. So there's the exhortation to add these, and then he spells them out for them, the examination of them. And then he wants to uh, point out the empowering ability of these qualities, the empowering ability. This is the focus of verses 8 through 11. For if these qualities are yours in increasing, notice that it's, this is the power of these abilities if you acquire them in verse 8. And then the power of these abilities uh, that is absent if these are absent in verse, verse 9. Uh, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Ineffective or unfruitful. The first word there is kind of another good way of translating that word would be dormant. And unfruitful kind of captures that same image when you come to a tree that's dead and uh, doesn't produce any fruit. We have this strange tree in our front yard. Half of it is literally dead. Like it just has leaves on one half. Um, it would be kind of like me if I grew my hair out. It would just, hair would just be out here and not on the top. It's like that except just on the one half. And so it's for half of that tree, it's unfruitful. It's ineffective and unfruitful. He says, if you are adding these qualities and you're increasing in these qualities of faith, virtue, goodness, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, he goes, you are, it will prevent that unfruitfulness and dormancy from happening in your life. And in your walk. And in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to what uh, the, the 
absence of it, what, what the consequence is if it's absence, these things are absent from your Christian life. Verse 9, um, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind. This is a deliberateness and a willful neglect of, of human virtues. It's really kind of interesting. He says, he goes, they're actually nearsighted and blind, which seems like it's kind of contradictory. You're either one or the other. If you're nearsighted, it means you're, you're like focusing here. But it's more in the sense of like you're so nearsighted that you actually you don't even end up seeing anything. This willful neglect of adding these Christian virtues to your life. To add the things that are supposed to accommodate genuine faith in Christ. I think it's very similar to what James uh, says in his, uh, in his letter. When he talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves, he says. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, this great picture. He is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. I think this is akin to what um, Peter is saying here in this passage, that you're so nearsighted that you're blind. And what causes that nearsightedness and blindness? The lack of adding these qualities. It's what happens when these are absent in the Christian who professes faith in Christ. But doing these things, adding these things to your faith will actually do the opposite for you. It will make you clear-eyed in understanding who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And then he says this, um, whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Very interesting here, this cleansing of sins picture used all throughout the, the Old Testament, the purification for sins is, is done via sacrifice. In the New Testament, what was pictured in shadows of offering the blood of animals for purification comes to its full substance in Christ that his blood was shed on the cross for you to be purified truly from sins through faith in him. And what Peter is saying is if you don't make this step to adding these, to walking in sanctification, what you're in effect doing is forgetting, not only like James said, forgetting what you look like, you're forgetting that that cleansing has actually even happened. I think also the reference could be here to uh, the connection with uh, baptism. Because baptism is often pictured in the New Testament connected with that faith in Christ. When you believe that Jesus Christ is truly God, that you realize that you are a sinner in need of a savior and that he suffered and died for you on the cross, you repent of your sins, you trust in Christ and then one of the first things you do is follow him in baptism, which uh, conveys tangibly the truth of what's happened there. You've died with Christ. You've been raised to walk in newness of, of, uh, of life in Christ. You've been buried with him in baptism. But there's also the picture of the washing. 
Acts chapter 22, verse 16. When he says, rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. This connection, calling on his name. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 of, to remind them that they have received Christ and what, it, what that means for them is there's a washing that has taken place. But such were some of you. You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So cleansed from former sins is what happens when we become a Christian, when we repent, we believe, and we obey Christ. So in other words, what he's saying here, it's, it's like you were forgot you were even a Christian. If you don't go on from having obtained a faith in Jesus Christ with equal standing of Peter and all the other apostles, and you don't move on to sanctification... By adding these things that he spells out, he goes, it's, it's like you forgot you were even a Christian. That's the empowering ability of these, these qualities. And lastly, we have the eternal importance of these qualities. And this is verses 12 through 15, but it actually, you see this in verse, uh, verse 10. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Entrance into the eternal kingdom. He says, this is connected to salvation and your corresponding walk in sanctification. In this way, in other words, it means by doing these things that I just spelled out for you. This is a serious point. If you are growing in these Christian virtues, then it says the entrance to the kingdom is going to be open for you. Not saying that you do these things opens the kingdom, okay? As if you're doing these things is the works that generate it. But he's saying the absence of these things suggests that that doorway is not open. I put it this way as a question that maybe some might anticipate. Uh, Aaron, are you saying um, that if you profess faith in Christ, but don't do virtues, that you do vices and sins regularly, that you don't get into the kingdom? The answer is yes. Not just here, but elsewhere too. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 10. I just read one of the verses there earlier. This is the larger context. He says, do, or do you not know that the unrighteous... Now, keep in mind who he's talking about here. He's writing to a church. He's writing to people who have professed faith in Christ, but it has come to his ears that they had engaged in all sorts of immoral things that were as bad or as worse as the world was doing. And Paul just aghast at this thought, goes, this is just not possible for Christian life. So he, he challenges them this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. He says it twice. 
Man, in this day and age, and it's not unique to our age. It's been through many different ages. But in this day and age, it's really to really easy to hear taught an easy believism. Almost like an antinomianism is another term for it. It's like, yes, I could become a Christian and then live however I want to. No, you can't. Such a thought would be so foreign to to Paul, who's looking at the Corinthians and going, you can't live like that anymore. And you do live like that. You don't inherit the kingdom. Peter saying something similar. Except a little bit opposite here. He's kind of flipping it around. For in this way, as you're adding these virtues to your faith, you're walking in sanctification according to the salvation that you profess. He says, then will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. So in other words, your profession of faith must be matched by a change in life. Salvation must be followed by sanctification. Or as James says, You say you have faith, but you don't have any works that show for it. You're deceiving yourselves. So this is why he stresses this so importantly in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Make your calling and election sure. Remember who he's talking about here in the first letter of this church of that uh, group of churches and that he was addressing he calls them the elect exiles of the dispersion. We talked about this. God's, God's electing activity to save them. But then he's going, okay, with that in mind, be diligent to confirm that. Be diligent to confirm that calling. Confirm your calling. This is the eternal importance of remembering these qualities and then so much so look at what peter says here verses 12 through 15 therefore i intend always to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the truth that you have okay so this is a very interesting uh, very interesting idea that you see i think see through all all throughout the new testament and the old testament um he says, you, you know the truth of these things. You've heard these before. I've taught these to you. You've been taught these by your uh, elders and overseers at your respective churches. You, you know that you, if you profess faith in Christ, you need to follow that in sanctification. You need to walk according to that. A spirit-empowered effort to do so. You need to do these things. And he goes, but nevertheless, I need to remind you of these things. I think it is right, he says in verse 13, as long as I am in this tent, again, it's kind of this material picture for his physical body that will be uh, cast off eventually one day, and then he will receive a glorified body with Christ um, in the resurrection. He says, as long as I am in this tent, I want to stir you up, and here it is again, by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Now, what does this mean? I, I think that this is, uh, he's, he's talking about here, uh, continuing here in verse 14, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus has made clear to me. 
So what, what does this mean? I, I think, has Peter gotten a special revelation about something? I think that this is in reference to what um, we have written for us in John chapter 20 at the end of, uh, of John's gospel. John chapter 21, excuse me. Where the resurrected Jesus has appeared to all of his uh, disciples. And then he says these things in, uh, and we covered this, I think, in the first Peter series. Verses 15 through 17 is when Jeter, Jesus, uh, in questioning Peter, he asks him multiple times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Uh, and Peter says, yes, yes. And then he's hurt and he says, yes, you know I do. And Jesus says, feed my, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep. And then it's right after that in verses 18 through 19, it says this truly, truly, this is the words of Jesus. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. John explains the meaning of Jesus's words here. In the parentheses, verse 19, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And then Jesus said, and after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I don't think this is a special revelation that Peter has outside of the scripture here. I think he knew what Jesus was telling him here. And perhaps Jesus explained it, elaborated it more after uh, the resurrection. Um, but it seems pretty clear here that Jesus told Peter about the way he was going to die, especially the stretching out your hands part. And in church tradition, uh, we, ha we have that Peter was, in fact, crucified. But the church tradition was is that he was crucified upside down because he refused to die in the same way as the Lord, because he says it would not. Uh, I don't deserve to die in the same way or manner that my my Lord did. Now, this is church tradition. We don't know if this is, is true or not, but we do know that he was martyred, that he was crucified. You will stretch out your hands. And this was over three decades earlier. So Peter knows he's coming to the end of his life and he's writing to these Christians in these churches. And he says, I know, you know, some of these things, but bear with me. I need to remind you. I, I need to remind you as long as I'm in this body, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. And even after my body has been torn apart on that cross and I'm buried into into a tomb, he goes, I will make every effort after my departure for you to be able to recall these things at any time. That's how important that's how eternally important these qualities are. That's why he's writing to them. That's why he's making this very clear to them what it is their obligation is. And what a blessing it is that we have that not only was Peter straining and making effort after his departure so that they would know these things by the spirit of our God, he has made it able for us to recall these things. These words by Peter to these who have obtained a faith of equal standing with 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 his are not just for them. It's for us, too. 
And the Lord God has provided this for us. And so, friends, make your calling and election sure. We've been exhorted to add these qualities, these virtues, these things to our, to our faith and our profession. In light of God's great gift of salvation, let us work out our salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working in you. So let's add these, these qualities in increasing measure to our lives. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And God, we thank you for this challenge and this encouragement that you have given us here. We know that it is by your grace and your grace alone that you that you you call, you sanctify, you justify, you set us apart. And then you call us to walk according to those truths. God, I would ask you to, by your spirit, to continue to empower our efforts at growing in the knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. That you would empower us by your spirit and make us willing and able to add to our faith these qualities that you have written in your word. That you would help us in a world that makes easy believism all too easy, or that will mock or scoff or downplay the seriousness of sanctifying our lives, God, we pray that you would help us to be sanctified, to grow in holiness, and grow more in resembling our Savior, Jesus Christ. We know that the gospel leaks out of our minds and hearts. And we thank you that you give us your word as a way to remind us. So we ask by your spirit, you would help us to do that. In Christ's mighty name, we pray and all God's people said, amen. And amen. Brothers and sisters, I invite you to stand for our closing benediction. A uh, reminder that the offering is over there on the, the side table. There's also some resources there if you would like. Uh, if you have a special prayer request or have some questions um, about the sermon, feel free to come up to and talk with me afterward. I'd love to share with you. And so, brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the fellowship that we have in the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you go. Thank you.